Please be seated. One of my husband's biggest, perhaps the biggest pet peeve in life today is our culture's insistence on the use of feeling language. Questions like, how do you feel about the latest Supreme Court decision? Or, what is your feeling about whether we go with stainless or stone countertops at the church? Or, what is worse, how are you feeling about the diocesan merger? Often, he responds, what I feel is irrelevant. Do you really want to know if I'm having palpitations or stomach cramps? Or are you asking what I think? No one who works with him asks what he feels anymore because they know that it won't bring about a favorable response. But one of the biggest problems faced by the church and American society today is that we have become feeling junkies. Instead of doing the hard work of thinking and praying through difficult problems, we tend to depend upon and what is more, appeal to people's feelings. It seems that we no longer have the stomach for reasoning from established truths, wrestling with conflicting values, and reaching the best possible conclusion. These days, sometimes we spew our feelings under the guise of hot rhetoric. Think about our last two presidential elections. When candidates spoke to the major issues facing our nation, did they more often appeal to objective facts and figures or thoughtful principles or values, or did they just uh, appeal to gut-level instincts of an anxious electorate? Build a wall and my body, my choice are great bits of political rhetoric that successfully fire up a political base, but honestly, did either of them convince anyone of anything of which they weren't already convinced, or did they simply inflame the convinced? Sadly, this sort of thing happens in the church too. How often have you heard clergy reduce complicated matters of human sexuality to sound bites. How frequently have you heard church leaders sidestep financial questions by tossing the word salad about non-quantifiable values associated with an intentionally missional focus? And even Jesus wouldn't know what they mean by that. The church in the 21st century seems to have come down with a case of the fields that we no longer seem to be able to do theology on the basis of scripture, reason, and tradition, or business on the basis of numbers. Instead, we appeal to what has become the greatest tool in our rhetorical arsenal. The Spirit is leading us to do it. There is no better way to stop an uncomfortable conversation in the church than they invoke the authority of the Holy Spirit. As they say in tennis, game, set, match. 
So this morning, I would like to spend a few moments speaking to this matter. It is important that we as Christians take care not to ascribe to the Spirit our own ideas and desires. We need to understand the crucial distinction between the movement of the Spirit and the quote Morris Albert, feelings, nothing more than mere feelings. First of all, the Spirit of, Spirit of God never speaks out of line with Holy Scripture. Prayer Book Catechism puts it this way, how do we recognize the truths taught by the Holy Spirit? We recognize them when they are in accordance with the Scriptures. Progressives and conservatives alike love to draw, drop the spirit bomb when they want to win an argument. Our best response to them should be, show me the proof. Holy Spirit is God, and God cannot speak at odds with God's self. Thus, if the Holy Spirit speaks, that which the Spirit speaks must align with what the Spirit has already spoken. We may disagree as to, and this is difficult, what the Spirit has spoken in Holy Scripture is. What does the Bible actually say? But then we can never presume that the Spirit is leading us beyond the Bible. The Spirit isn't schizophrenic. The Spirit doesn't change its mind. Unless it aligns with Scripture, it cannot come from the Holy Spirit, period. This is why it is so important for us to know the tools to understand, the interpret, and the pray through the Holy Spirit together as a community. Secondly, the Spirit never speaks only to a select few. One of the more pernicious heresies in church history was known as Gnosticism. Gnosticism holds that God only communicates His true knowledge to an elite group of spiritual insiders. Everyone else has to depend on the insiders to access God's will. This, of course, is a power play. It creates a spiritual case caste system that subjects some and elevates others. Friends, some may be ignorant of the Holy Spirit's message. Others may not understand it when they hear it, but all divine knowledge is public knowledge. This is precisely where the ancient Israel got it wrong. They thought that since God spoke to them specifically, God must have spoken to them specially. Not so. God spoke to them so that they might bring God's message to others. In the church today, we should get nervous when folks say, Spirit told us to do something, therefore rest of you should just come along. If the Spirit is really speaking, the church will eventually recognize this through the consensus. Not unanimity, but consensus. And this leads to another related point. The Spirit is never irrational. Some folks seem to think that God's ways are higher than ours, 
means that for God, circles can be squares. This is wrong-headed. God created humans in God's own image. And most scholars have identified that divine likeness with human rationality. God gave us the ability to make sense of things in a similar way to which God makes sense of things. Therefore, we should take care not to ascribe to God things that are patently nonsensical. God's thoughts may be above our thoughts, but they cannot be irrational. The word, according to the early church fathers, is rationality itself. For this reason, we shouldn't readily ascribe Christ's Spirit's assertions that wouldn't pass human muster. This point may seem high-flung, but it is actually quite important. God created us to recognize nonsense. Isn't that beautiful? Why? Because God is a God that doesn't peddle nonsense. Our ability to discriminate between the sublime and the ridiculous is part and parcel to our discerning God's ways from others, what is good and right and true from what is bad and wrong and false. Whenever churches and church people try to sell us a bill of goods that fails to make basic sense, we must take note. God does mysterious things, but he doesn't do stupid things. And this leads us to a final observation. The Spirit is never discerned through feelings alone. I can't tell you the number of times I and other people in my life mistake the voice in their heads for the voice of the Spirit. It is the height of hubris and delusion to believe that God feels what I feel. You should think about that. Our feelings are arguably the least reliable tools for decision-making, but our intuition is not. There's also a difference. The reason for feelings being so unreliable is simple, because they arise from our most primal and least rational survival instincts. They are reactions to external stimuli that are designed by God to help us make split-second decisions. Do we fight or do we flee? Like every other human capacity, our feelings are affected by the fall of Adam and Eve. But they are particularly susceptible to error because they tend to suspend higher thoughts. When you're about to be hit by a bus, You don't have time to run numbers about distance and velocity. You just need to jump. Your feelings streamline that process. When you're making a difficult decision, however, it is rarely beneficial to let your feelings drive while your brain is out of gear. Talk to an addict and an alcoholic in your life. To an alcoholic, an idea of a cocktail is fantastic, and it seems so rational. But to a person in recovery, it is the danger sign. It is utter irrationality. Rash decisions often come when our emotions trump our minds. If most godlike aspect of human nature is rationality, then it seems likely that the spirit would appeal most naturally to that capacity. That is something what Paul is getting 
when he sets the flesh and spirit in opposition. The flesh represents the baser, the animal-like impulses in humans. The spirit represents the ways of God that aren't apprehended through instinct, but through mindful contemplation. In our day and time, people talk about getting in touch with their feelings. But what does this mean? Are people trying to feel feelings they don't feel they feel? That doesn't make sense. What they are really trying to do is to bring their minds and their feelings together so that they can better understand what they feel, why they feel some things and not others. In this case, it's plain to see that the mind must be involved. People are endeavoring to bring the subconscious in to the conscience. And in a similar way, folks often try to practice a mindless spirituality. They talk of getting their minds out of the way so they can get in touch with God. Well, if the mind is the aspect of the human person that is most like God, why would we not want to get that but out of the way? This is nonsense. The racing thoughts we have when we pray, are they not more products of our feelings than of God's contemplations? People, please know, I don't try to diminish the importance of feelings. I too lead a life that is ran by feelings. I simply try to keep them in their proper sphere. Many a life has been shipwrecked by those giving greater weight to feelings than other, other ways of knowing. It is not the feelings are less important than thoughts. They are a little bit less reliable because they tend to hamstring thoughts. When we talk about them, the movement of the Holy Spirit, we need to take care not to assume that the Spirit is speaking to our hearts, excludes our minds. The heart is a muscle that pumps blood. Metaphorically, it refers to the seat of the personality, the rational soul. If the Spirit is speaking to us, it is speaking to the part of us with the capacity to speak. Allow me to conclude with a few words of explanation. You're probably wondering, why is Mother Esgi talking about this today? Is she making a veiled reference to something that is going on in the diocese or the church or the world? The answer is, I'm making a general reference to a lot of things going on in the church and the world today. There is no such thing, I think, in God's mind as your truth and my truth. There is only the truth. And what you and I have, have opinions and convictions about the truth. This general confusion, sadly, is giving way to a more specific confusion in the church, which I'm most concerned about. Professing Christians have begun to abandon the church's classical way of discerning truth, scripture, reason, tradition, in favor of an approach that is more than a simple assertion of what we feel overlaid a thin veneer of spiritual language. Theology is giving way not just to meology, which is in a fallen world, is always a problem, 
but to theology, which is far more simple and dangerous thing. All that is required for a truth claim in the church today is an I feel couched in the words, the Spirit told me that Christianity becomes nothing more than an empty bottle that we feel free to fill with anything we want. A faith that is no faith at all. If it is simply worship of the person in the mirror, the basis form of idolatry. It is no wonder that the Christian faith isn't growing in America. If the only God we have is ourselves. But, my friends, if we dare to believe in a God that is greater than anything we feel, if the real thing is infinitely better than our new Coke formulations of who God ought to be, can there be hope? It is, because God is our eternal hope. For this reason, we must always remember that we are made in the image of God, not the other way around. God's reality determines ours, and baptizing our own prejudices and preferences with the language of the Spirit doesn't make them true. They are simply feelings, nothing more than feelings. So my prayer today is that you experience God's truth, as we just heard in the hymn, that He is speaking to His people, and His people will bring about God's great goodness, as that you get in touch in this place, in this time, in this church, in this small little town, with the truth of God, the peace of God that passes all understanding. Because you and I are made in God's image, and His image puts us in touch with His promise. And that ultimately changes the world. Amen.